Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to First Nazarene. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Whether you're here in the room or joining us online, thank you for being a part uh, of our worship services today. Uh, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the team um, that we have here at the church. Uh, You know, today we're going to be continuing on in our rhythms series, talking about the different ways that uh, God wants to deal with the different patterns of our lives. Uh, If you were here last week, you could be like, well, Pastor J.M., our youth pastor, preach, and you're like, well, we weren't in the rhythm series last week, kind of what happened, and I, I just wanted to pause for two seconds uh, to say that I'm incredibly thankful for our team. Last weekend, you ever, like, have that pit in your stomach where you, like, start to get nauseous, and then you begin to wonder, am I getting sick? And then you tell yourself, no, I'm not going to get sick. I'm going to go drink, like, three vitamin C or emergencies real fast. Like, I'm not going to get sick. Like, church is tomorrow. There's no way I can get sick. Uh, And finally, last weekend, I had to say at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, hey, JM, do you think you can preach tomorrow? And some of you didn't even know that last week, that he came out and he did a phenomenal job, and we're uh, incredibly thankful for him. Uh, And God spoke through him even on a last minute, and and most of you didn't even know that, but I just wanted to brag on him for a moment and say thank you. I'm incredibly thankful for this team. Yeah, sure. So this week, continuing on in rhythms. You see, there's one thing, I don't know how you think about church, I don't know how you think about your relationship with God. I know for many of you, maybe it was the way that you grew up. Your attitude towards church is, well, I went. And so, like, I did the thing that God would want me to do. I kind of checked it off the, uh, checked off, checked the box off the list. Like, I went to church. You know, I'm doing what God would want me to do. I hope the longer and longer that you are around this place, you realize that it is not about a checkbox. It's not about being a good person. It's not even about doing good things. But what God has for us, what he desires for us, is a relationship. And we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. It isn't, oh, I hope he's happy with me. It's, I know this God. So when we come to this place, we're all gathered. We're all very different people. But the thing that unites us, the thing that brings us together is our faith in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, a life that none of us have lived. That in his death on the cross, he took on all of the sin of the world of all time onto himself. That he was killed on the cross and put in the grave. He was buried for three days. And on the third day, God the Father in the power of the Spirit raises Jesus from the dead. He's victorious over sin. He's victorious over the grave. He's victorious over every evil power in the world. Jesus is God. This is the faith that we believe in. It's the faith that is changing lives. It's changed my life, and for many of you, I know it has changed yours too. That Jesus' story of life and death and then resurrection and new life, 
becomes our story too. Well, I was once this way, and I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I can tell you about it today because Jesus saved me. Jesus took me through the waters of baptism. The old me is gone. The new me is now here. Now, I'm not perfect. You know, I don't ever want to be a church of perfect people who all get dressed up and pretend like everything is right in the world. No, we're all broken people, but we're all on a journey seeking Jesus, making the world right, establishing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. This is what unites us. So as we live for Jesus, if you, hey, I'm in relationship with Jesus, you know, I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, I've asked him to give me new life, well, kind of now what? How do I actually live my life? And this is what this series is about. I think Jesus cares about how we spend our time, how we spend our lives. In scripture from Romans, in a paraphrase, we read these words. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your eyes, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. We as Christians should look different than the rest of the world. We should be known by our love. We should be known by our forgiveness, by our loving generosity, because it's the way that Jesus lived. And if we follow him, we should live in the same way. How do we look and live different? Today, the rhythm that we'll be discussing is the rhythm of margin. And at first, it sounds a little odd. I'm not sure if you've ever heard a sermon on margin before. I don't think I've ever heard one uh, on margin before. But here's what I think. God wants to use open space in our life for his purposes. Some of you, you know, you've been here. If you haven't been here through this series, you can always go on the app and watch the previous messages. If you've been here, you know, like, week one was Sabbath, right? We're supposed to take a day, and hopefully you're continuing that rhythm and you've built it into your life. Take a day and have space. So how's margin different? Well, Sabbath is a gift for you for rest and to reconnect with God and others in your life. Margin is about creating open space so that God can use you in the world. God wants to use us. You see, in our American culture today, uh, we mostly live in what I would call a culture of maximization. I don't know if that's a word or not. We are maximizers, if you will. How much time do I have? I want to fill up every spare moment of time so that I'm being productive or accomplishing something or working towards a goal. Oh, I have a little more time. I'm going to fill it here. And honestly, like, I'm the worst at this. Like, oh, my kids go to bed at 8, and, like, I don't need a lot of sleep. Like, let's do a doctoral program. So I'm, like, working on my doctorate, and I do my homework from, like, 9 to midnight almost every night. I got lots of time, right? No, it's not healthy. It'll end in May, and then I'll get my sanity back. It'll be fine. Like, we have to make the most of every moment, not only in our time, but in our money as well. It doesn't matter how much is coming in. If we maximize and we have allotted where every single dollar is going to go going out, it doesn't matter how much is coming in, then I have no more room. There's nothing left because there's no open space. But today I would say I believe that God wants us to intentionally build in room around the margins, so that we, as his people, can be a blessing to others. And what we find when we do this, is when we're a blessing to others, is that we actually receive the blessing as well. Margin, room around the edges. Hopefully I don't need to explain what margin is. You know, like a printer paper, and you print something off, there's the white space that's built in. Margin, room around the edges. What would it look like to have margin in our time, in our relationships, and in our finances. 
I was working on this uh, message today. You know, have, have room around the edges in your time. Make space for people. I'm working on the message. My wife walks in the room, and she looks over my shoulder. She, she's, she sees what I'm working on, you know, making room, making time, have time for other people. And she, like, sarcastically, hey, Galen, could you make a little time for me? And I was like, like, right now? Like, you see what I'm, I'm writing the message. Right now? She goes, oh, no, not right now. I don't have time for you. Goodbye. And walks off. Like, what? No. Here's where this is coming from. As I pastor you, as I hear your stories, as I try to counsel you from the scriptures and maybe what God would have to say to you, I recognize that many people would say, listen, I am maxed out, especially in time, maybe in finances too, but especially in my time. I don't feel like I have time to serve in the youth group. I don't feel like I have time to join a life group. I don't have time to go on a mission trip. I don't have time to say dinner to somebody who might ask me out. I'm just maxed out on one hand. And then on the other hand, they're saying, man, I need something different in life. Like, I need more quality relationships. I need to do something where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I have a purpose and meaning in life. Like, something needs to change. Yet on this side, I really can't change anything. What if God could begin to open spaces around our life so that we could begin to say yes to new things that may be divine appointments, that when we say yes to them and participate in them, then we would see God's goodness and blessing flow through us to others, and then we experience the blessing as well. Today, I want to read to you from Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can open them there on the Bible or on our First Naz app. If you click Sundays and Bible, it'll take you right there from Mark 5, 21 through 42. As I read you this interaction with Jesus, we're going to view it today in sake of or in view of, viewpoint of our time. Now, here's what I love about Scripture and why I encourage you to always read your Bible, Bible reading plan. Some of you join the life group, read the Bible in a year. Here's what I love about it. When we read scripture, God's spirit comes alongside and speaks to each one of us exactly what we need to hear. You may hear something different than the person on the row next to you. You may hear something different than the person sitting on the couch next to you if you're watching online. But God can speak to you from it. So I want to read you this story today. And I want you to ask yourself, God, what is it that you want to say to me about my time today through this? Mark 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat... To the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Today, I want you to be able to picture this scene. Jesus gets off a boat, and a large crowd swells around him. Jesus was popular. Jesus walking around healing people, casting out demons, doing things that no one had ever done, feeding 5,000 people at once by himself will get you a following. Jesus steps off the boat, and you get this picture of, oh, I mean, they didn't have cameras back then, but I almost get the picture of, like, paparazzi. Oh, there he is. There he is. Do you see him? Oh, there he is. Do you see him? A large, large crowd. Jesus is important. And Jairus comes up to him and falls at his feet. He pleads earnestly with him, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. He has a daughter who's 12 years old. Picture seventh grade. Your seventh grade girl who's dying. How earnestly would you be pleading with the one who is known to heal others? Jesus, he's pleading earnestly with him. Come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. 
So Jesus went with him. What a moment. You're pleading, and Jesus says, okay, I'll come with you. Show me the way. So they start walking, and the large crowd follows them, and Scripture says, pressed in on them. Jesus is on the way to do the work. He's following Jairus, and the people are pushing around him, just trying to get close to him, trying to get near to him, trying to see who he is. Now, there was a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around into this crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? And the disciples, Jesus, are you kidding me? Everyone's crowded around you. They're pressing in on you. We're off to go save a little girl's life who's dying. Why did you stop, Jesus? What do you mean, who touched you? But it says, Jesus kept looking around. No. Who touched me? Then the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What a moment. Now imagine, again, Jesus is on the way. If Jairus is, Jesus, come on, we gotta, we gotta get there. Crowd is pressing in. You know, it doesn't say in the beginning, the woman touched him, Jesus stopped. We read all those details, She'd been bleeding for 12 years, hadn't been getting any better. She'd spent all of her money trying to get better, but instead of getting better, she got worse. Where do you think we learned that? I think it's right here in this moment. Jesus is looking around. Who touched me? And then when she comes, and then not only, yes, healing happened, but she begins to tell the story. Jesus, this is what it's been. This is taking time. Jesus, this is where I've been. I've been bleeding. I tried to go see them. I tried to go see them. Nothing's worked, Jesus. And then... While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's too late. We didn't make it. We didn't have enough time. She's gone. Jesus, overhearing what they said, told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. What does that mean? Believe what? You didn't even tell me. They continue on. I'm going to skip down. Jesus gets to the house. There's people outside weeping and wailing because this little girl has passed. And Jesus drives them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talathakum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12. And at this, they were completely astonished. Jesus brought her back to life. When you read this account of Jesus, what could it teach us about time? First of all, from the perspective of the bleeding woman, it's been 12 
years. Earnestly, I'm sure it was on her mind every day, if I could just get better. This is changing my life. It's changing how I live. I have to do things differently. I just want to get better. I'm sure she was faithful and praying and doing her own diligence and obedience, yet for some reason, God had not healed her. Twelve years, and then she encountered healing. I don't know if this is you today, but there may be some of you, whether it's yourself or for someone else, you have been praying for healing. Maybe it's been three months or six months or a year or five years or 10 or 12 or 20 or more. And you've begun to wonder, God, why won't you heal? Friends, I don't have all the answers of why everything happens or who they happen to. But here's what I do know. The hope of the Christian faith is that healing is coming. Without the Christian faith, what are we left with? We are sick and we die and that's all. But the hope of the Christian faith is that Jesus will come and heal. Whether it be a moment in this life, whether it be if Jesus decides to come back while we're still walking around on the planet, or after we die and we meet Jesus face to face, he will touch us. He will speak to us. We will have a new body, new mind, and we will be healed. Friend, if that is you today and it's felt like a long time, Have faith, continue to endure and trust. Healing is on the way in God's timing. For me, as I look at this story, I think of Jairus. Can you imagine? Jesus, come heal my daughter. Jesus, please, she needs healing. He says, yes. And you're trying to go and, man, if there's a large crowd that wants to see Jesus, but your intention is like, Jesus, I need you to do this. I'd be pushing people out of the way. Get out of the way. Jesus needs to go here. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And he turns, and he's talking to others. I'd be like, Jesus, can, can we wrap this up? The cold like, side of me is like, this is awful, I know. But Jesus, she's been bleeding for 12 years. Can she wait one more day? My daughter can't. Let's go. We've got to go, Jesus. But he stopped. And then the word comes. Hey, don't worry about it. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. Could you imagine having the hope in one moment of Jesus? He's going to do it. It's going to happen. And then it's gone. But yet, trusting in God's timing often reveals that when we think things should happen, it's not the same timeline that God has. Jairus is wanting healing. Instead, God has something better for him and resurrection and bringing her back. How many of you have prayed before? God, I need this job. God, I need this relationship. I need this. And it looks like it's going to happen, and then it doesn't. And you begin to wonder, God, like, I thought you were going to answer that prayer. Where were you? I thought you wanted this for me. I I thought I was following you. And then God gives you something different that at the time you didn't know you needed, but instead God gave you not what you wanted, but instead what you needed. And then over time you realize, and you get to look back and be like, oh God, I'm so glad you didn't answer that first prayer. I'm so glad instead you gave me something better. Trusting in God's timing is an exercise of trust. God, I have to surrender and say, my time is not your time. Your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. It's th- I can pray and I, if this is your will, but ultimately I trust. What you want to do, you will bring about. But finally, as followers of Jesus, what does the story tell us about him? We're supposed to live our lives like him, as John says. 
So how do we follow his example? Even, and maybe not many of us are, but even if we are popular and there's a following and you are busy and your calendar is packed and everyone wants to see you, you're doing good and important work in the world. Jesus is healing people. Don't be so important or so busy that you can't stop to address those who need you, whether it be family or neighbors or friends who needs you. Don't be so busy you can't pause for a moment and have a conversation that leads to someone else's healing. Jesus pauses and he stops. Yeah, and it feels like, and here's what I would say, when you're in the moment and you're busy and you're racing from one thing to another and somebody asks for your time, often it feels almost like an annoyance and don't you know I'm doing important things? I've got all these other, I'm sorry, I, like, I have to say a hard no. That's really hard. In saying yes to these moments, we're trusting God's timing. Yes, I will sit with you and be present with you. I know there's all these other things that got to happen, but I'm trusting if this is what God wants me to do, he's going to take care of that too. So God, is this what you want me to do? I'll take the time for it. And I don't know how. I mean, she's sick and she's dying and resurrection. But I, but I trust that you'll take care of that too. Do we trust God with our time? One sense we can say, man, I would live, I would die for Jesus. But can you live for him too? in the smallest ways of how you spend your time with other people, margin in your time and in your relationships. I love this passage. It has so much to teach us. Do we trust him today to reflect on? Ask yourself, do I have any margin in my time and in my relationships? What would it look like to build a rhythm of margin in this area of my life? And I'll give you examples in a few moments. But I also would say, not only your time, but what does it look like to have margin in your finances? I want to read to you a fascinating passage from Deuteronomy and the law that God gave the Israelites. Maybe many of you don't spend time in reading that, but I think it is a key, and it teaches us something about God's principles of the way that he operates in the world. I want you to read this with me. It's from Deuteronomy 24. God is giving the law to his people. He says, when you're harvesting your crops and you forget to bring a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back and get it. No. Leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. He goes on. And when you're harvesting your olives trees, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. He goes on. When you gather your grapes in the vineyard, don't glean the vines after they're picked. Again, leave them for the remaining, for the foreigners, for the orphans. And for the widows. And then he says, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. And this is why I'm giving you this command today. Leave some room around the edges of your fields so that others may eat, especially the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Three times he repeats this. So there are Israelites, God fearing people, who are doing their best to live for God. One of them's name is Boaz. You can read Boaz's story in the book of Ruth. Most of you have read Ruth, and we focus on Ruth, and it's an incredible story of God's faithfulness and God's family, and you can read that chapters two through four this week. But today I want to look at Boaz. It begins, now there was a wealthy and influential man named Boaz in Bethlehem. And he's trying to follow God's laws. So he's wealthy. He has fields. He has workers for those fields. Uh, he's wealthy because he's made money off of these. He could maximize his money if he would go around the field again. If he would take a little more grapes, take a little more olives. There's some left out there. He could maximize it, pinch those, and get the most out of it. 
Yet he's trying to follow God's law, so he says, I'll leave it. And because he leaves it, there are orphans and widows and foreigners out in his fields picking up the surplus. One of those is named Ruth. She's a widow and a foreigner who's come back to live with her mother-in-law. They don't have a lot. They're looking for food. She's out in the field, and they, they take notice of her. And the, you can read it this week. is an incredible story. There's some, at one point, she like cuddles up next to his feet. There's some intriguing things that happen there. I'm telling you all that to hopefully spark your interest. You can go read your Bible this week. But he, he notices her. He says, be kind to her. Let her gather. He gets to know who she is. He sends her home with more food to take care of her. Over time, a relationship builds, and he ends up marrying Ruth. Because he made margin, he took care of somebody else, a new relationship was formed, eventually became his wife, eventually gave him a son named Obed, which is an odd name to name your son, but if you know your biblical history, do you remember Obed? Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, King David. The reason we know Boaz and Ruth's story is because, because of his faithfulness, God gave them a generational blessing. You will be the great-grandfather of King David, the greatest king of our nation, and ultimately through your line, Jesus, the Savior of the world, will be born. Leave some room around the edges. Provide for others. Watch God bless you back in return. So for us, and this is key, we need to realize this. It's one thing to say, God will provide for them. God's going to take care of them. You just pray, and God will. Yet I often think that God's most preferred way, principle, his favorite way to do it, is through us. When I read that passage in Deuteronomy, it makes me say, I think God has designed provision for others through our margin. God gives us what we need, and he says, no, take care of it. I'll take care of you and your life, but what about your margin? Could you take care of others? If we live with no margin, they cannot receive God's provision, and we don't experience God's blessing, because if you've given generously, you know blessing is not in getting accumulating. It's in giving, even in the smallest ways. You get so much joy from it. So how do we live these intentional rhythms of margins? Would it look like to build in a rhythm of generosity, either planned or sporadic in our life? You know, Galen, okay, time, relationships, money. Why is this in our rhythm series? Like, these are just good talk. And here's what I would say. We have to build them into our life. If we don't build them into our life, they will never happen. So what does a rhythm of time look like? What if in your calendar you begin to schedule open meetings, it's scheduled so it cannot move on your calendar. People can't schedule other things over them, but it is open free time. So that when someone comes to you in a moment where you're normally busy, you can spend time with that person. And then during your open time, continue to do your work. Or what if you said, and time and relationships often go together. So every Tuesday night, we'll call it, or no, we'll just do it once a month because every week sounds like a lot. We're going to call it Third Tuesday Tacos, okay? Third Tuesday Tacos. On the third Tuesday of every month, I'm going to have tacos at my house, and it's an open dinner. If I meet somebody in the next month, hey, come to my house on third Taco Tuesday. And they're like, that's a weird, you name your meals around your house? It don't matter. Just show up on Tuesday. You'll have tacos. You begin to build room for other people in your life because, watch this, 
around the church, we find amazing community with one another. It's the community we've been created to live in. Love people. We selflessly give them. They do the same for us. It's an amazing community. But the longer you live in it, the more closed off you can become to other relationships. Because I don't really, I have my friends here. I have, everything's here. Yet if God is trying to make his word known to the world, and he chooses to do it through us, what is uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe is chapter 5. It says God is making his appeal to the world through us. So if God wants others to know about him, it's going to come through us. We can't become so enclosed in our own friendships and relationships. We never invite new people into them. We have to have room always for new people to come in it with time, relationships. Maybe it's once a month, Sunday after church, once a month. That's not too much. You would say, I'm going to tie all three of these together. I'm going to take time. I'm going to take uh, relationships. I'm going to take generosity. Once a month, I'm going to see someone at church and say, can I buy you lunch today? Chili's is right down the street. Can I buy you lunch today? I, don't, I know you don't know me. I know you don't know you, but how else are we going to know each other? Can I buy you lunch today? If it's weird, it was only once. Don't worry about it. Can we do it? Will you build it into a rhythm? Not sporadic, but planned. Or in generosity, let me just tell you what it looks like for me. In my family, I give 11%, and in, in, uh, in the Bible we read about giving our tithes. My family, we give 11% of everything we make back to God and the local church. On top of that, there's some margin. In my life goal lists every year, you can tell I'm a goal guy, is bless five people anonymously. Can I tell you that's one of my favorite things to do? Um, this is supposed to be anonymous, but I know that he's not going to watch this, so it can be anonymous. Um, two weeks ago, I, I, had a friend, I have a friend who I really know likes books, and I knew a book that he would want, and so I just sent it to him. You do gift thing on Amazon, they don't even know where it comes from. You just send it to him. And then you see them like sharing, oh, someone just gave me a random gift. I don't even know who it was, but I love it so much. You know what that does for you? Oh my goodness, that's so fun. It was $30, it's not that much. What does it look like to build in, number one, planned ways of generosities, but then second, room for sporadic. If you want a blessing, be the blessing to others. It's more blessed to give than to receive, is what Jesus says. What are your rhythms in these areas? So today, do you have margin, time, relationships, finances? Oh, Galen, I don't feel like this is, a, this is an everyday rhythm. I know. Because if you can introduce these into your life, God will change you over the long term. Today, maybe you go home and have a conversation. The biggest moment that will happen for you from this message maybe isn't right now. Maybe the conversation that you have later. And I would say this. Ultimately, I hope that you hear my heart behind this. Today is not about time management, budgeting, relationships, discipline. Those are all good things, and yes. But if God wants himself to be known in the world, and he chooses to do it through us, if we fit in with our culture without even thinking of maximizing every moment we have in our time, then we have no more space to share God's love with the world. That's why we're considering these things. Have time to introduce somebody new into your circle. To have time to stop and be present and have a conversation that could lead to someone else's healing. To have the joy of being generous to others and they ask you, why are you being so generous to me? Well, I believe in a God that so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, he gave everything. So that none would have to perish, but all could have eternal life through him if they believe. So I, I follow him. He's generous. I'm being generous too. And in that generosity, people will come to know the love of God for them and maybe enter into a growing relationship with the God who loves them and cares for them too through our margin. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray with me today?
God, we recognize that to live for you, it takes time and space. It's not just something we do on Sundays, but God, you desire our entire lives as a living sacrifice to be lived for you. God, my challenge for your community today is that we would be challenged to surrender just as we have surrendered our lives, to also surrender the way we live our life, our schedule, our time, everything we have to you. That we would make room for you to do whatever it is that you want to in our lives, through our lives, for the good, for the blessing of the world. God, we recognize that you give us the blessing of new life, of forgiveness, of the incredible new life that we get. No shame, no guilt. God, we say thank you. But yet we remember that we were blessed to be a blessing for the world. So God, help us to live into that. To be people that take the time, that have an invitation, that radically, generously bless others. All for the goal, so that people would know you and begin a relationship with you. God, as you speak to us, continue to speak to us. Help these to be conversations that we have and then lead to a change in our life. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.